Today from the Global Lane, the hidden Nazi. 75 years after VE Day, the truth revealed. Why did the U.S. government secretly protect a powerful Nazi engineer who designed death camp gas chambers? Hans Kammler is the general who delivered the rocket team to the United States and changed the course of history. No dining out for Mother's Day. Some ways to show appreciation for mom despite the viral shutdown. And two veteran heroes. One prays for revival, the other busts a move. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. Up front, VE Day. 75 years have now passed since the surrender of Nazi Germany and the end of the Second World War in Europe. Adolf Hitler murdered six million Jews, and the war, just in Europe alone, claimed 20 million lives. That was double the number of European deaths from World War I. Here with us to provide some insights is Mr. Dean Reuter. He's a fellow at the National Security Institute at George Mason University's Antonin Scalia Law School. Also, general counsel of the Federalist Society for Law and Public Policy and co-author of the book Hidden Nazi, the untold story of America's deal with the devil. Dean, thank you for being with us. Uh, we'll talk about your book in a few minutes, but 75 years have now passed since VE Day. So what lasting lessons have we learned from that devastating conflict? Well, for me, the biggest lesson is that uh, the Americans, along with the Western allies, can accomplish anything, uh, which seems like a a poignant and, and relevant message in today's era where we're battling uh, yet another worldwide enemy, the coronavirus. Uh, this one not man-made, uh, we think, at this point. Uh, but there are lots of similarities and contrasts. But I would say the big lesson is that, you know, good triumphs over evil. And, you know, not many World War II veterans are still with us now. So why is it important for us to honor them, those who fought, those who died? And what do you want young people to know about it? Well, I, I do think there's some truth in the notion that history repeats itself, especially if we don't learn from it. And it's appalling. I mean, we recently had the 75th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. It, it's appalling how people 40 years or younger don't know uh, what the Holocaust was, by and large, and they certainly don't know what uh, Auschwitz is. And th that's tragic uh, for the loss itself, but also for the for the notion that you know bad could arrival, uh, arise again, evil could arise again, and we need to be perfectly informed about what man is capable of doing to fellow man, not just on a one-on-one -on -one basis, but on an institutional, government-wide basis. And I know a lot of young people aren't even aware of who fought against whom in in World War II. Uh, Germany, Japan, when was that? Uh, but anyway, your book about the hidden Nazi, General Hans Kammler, who was he? Why did the United States protect him after the war? You know, th this great question why they protected him. He was the most powerful Nazi, as we say in the book, that you've never heard of. He was integral to the Holocaust, meaning the Holocaust could not have happened without him. He was an architect and an engineer. He helped identify Auschwitz as the main killing camp, identified other sites for camps, then built them out, designed the gas chambers, installed the gas chambers and the ovens, literally made the Holocaust possible. From there, though, he went on to rule all of Germany's secret weapons. And as we knew Germany was going to lose the war in the final year, uh, we wanted those secret weapons. The Western allies did. The Americans did, including the vengeance weapons, the V1 and V2 rockets. And indeed, 
we got the rocket team uh, that made the supersonic V2 rocket, helped put us on the moon, helped us win the Cold War with the ICBM. But everybody assumes we just sort of stumbled upon the rocket team through good fortune, found them in Germany. But uh, as we prove in The Hidden Nazi, Hans Kammler is the general who delivered the rocket team to the United States and changed the course of history. And, of course, many people are horrified by that to think that uh, the United States protected such an evil man. So is there a dilemma here? Do, do we always uh, have to make these choices between uh, the lesser of two evils, maybe? Well, Gary, there's certainly a dilemma. We talk about it at length in the book. Uh, the conclusion I can only come to is that I, it's hard for me to second guess the decisions made on the ground as the war was winding down. Everybody knew uh, what the Nazis had been up to, maybe not the extent of it, but they knew they were evil incarnate. Yet everyone knew that the Soviet Union was going to be the next threat, a godless existential threat to the United States. Their way of life was incompatible with that of the United States. So we began to recruit Nazis as intelligence assets, but also as technicians and experts, uh, not just to get them for ourselves, but to keep them out of the hands of the Soviets. Um, so. There's absolutely a moral question there. The answers uh, don't come easy, uh, but we pose a lot of those questions in the book, The Hidden Nazi. And of course, following victory in Europe, we saw the rise of the Cold War, as you mentioned, and finally in 1989, the fall of the Berlin Wall and the Soviet Union, eventually the fall of communism in Eastern Europe. So right now, like the United States, we know that Europe is battling this unseen enemy, COVID-19, that you mentioned. But how likely are we to see another great war in Europe? What do you think will happen in the years ahead? Boy, I hope not. Um, the, the, the leap from World War I to World War II in terms of munitions and killing capacity uh, was enormous. And the technology, the killing capacity uh, from World War II to the present is a greater leap still. So our ability to inflict harm uh, and devastation on one another, not just on soldiers, but also on civilian populations, it has just been dramatically increased. And so that means the stakes are enormously high. Uh, so I, I don't think it's likely, but having said that, World War I was thought to be the last great war uh, of world history. And a mere 20 years later, uh, they're all at it again. So. And we still have many enemies out there, don't we? We do. There are a lot of governments that, I mean, America, God bless America, it's a freedom-loving, liberty-loving country. Uh, there are a lot of dictators left, a lot of tyrannical governments, a lot of fascist, socialist-based governments, uh, and uh, they're not compatible with our way of, of life. Not to mention some Islamic ones that chant death to America. Well, Dean Reuter of the Federalist Society and George Mason University and author of the book Hidden Nazi, The Untold Story of America's Deal with the Devil. Sounds like an excellent book. Thank you for that and thank you for your insights today. Great to be with you, Gary. Thanks for having me on. Shutdowns and the COVID-19 pandemic are making this Mother's Day unlike any in the past. Typically, mothers are honored with flowers and gifts Many are treated to dinner at a local restaurant, but not so this year. And moms probably need that break because of all the extra pressures and the challenges of working and caring for their children at home. Well, here with some thoughts on this is Yael Eckstein. You may know her as president of Israel's largest philanthropy group, the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. She's also the author of the book, Generation to Generation. 
Yeah, Al, you're a mother of four, uh, four children, I guess, under the age of 13. So how are you coping in Israel during the COVID-19 shutdown there? Well, I think um, what's amazing about these very difficult times now is that we can all find strength in the fact that we're not going through it alone. I think of how every single parent basically across the world is in the same position now. And so I really look at it as an opportunity. How often do we have the opportunity um, where the whole world, including the government and everyone else is saying, just stay at home, just stay at home. And I feel like before this happened, the world was so focused on trying to excel outside of the home. So as a mother, as a working mother, um, I try to keep perspective and to try to find the blessing within the difficulty. Now you're in Israel. How is this Mother's Day different for you? How can we still make it special despite the shutdown limitations? Well, I believe that for any family of faith, the Proverbs woman has Mother's Day every single day. Um, but indeed, it is nice to have one day that you're just appreciated and, um, and, and really given that time for yourself. I think that's the biggest thing on Mother's Day is that what every mother wants is to know that all the hard work that she does is seen, is appreciated, that she's loved, and then to have a little bit of time for herself. And so I think that um, in this whole world full of abundance, you know, it says in the Bible, there will come a day where the hunger will not be for bread, the thirst will not be for water, but rather to hear the word of the Lord. You know, what do flowers, what do all the gifts symbolize? Usually not something that the mother is really lacking, but just that appreciation. And so I think it's an amazing opportunity this year just to write beautiful letters, to pick flowers from outside. We're in the most beautiful time of the year now where the, everything's in bloom. God's nature is just alive. So it will definitely be a different Mother's Day than normal, but I still think it could be very meaningful. And about one out of four people are out of work here in the U.S. Many are preoccupied with just trying to meet the basic needs of their families, Yale. Others are overwhelmed by, I guess, working from home and educating, keeping their kids uh, up to date. And I know your book is Generation to Generation. So how do we still instill character and faith in our children during a shutdown? Well, I think it's specifically now that we need our faith the most. And this is the time that we can show our children how to act during hard times. We always tell our children, we have a saying in Hebrew, all for the best. God is good. God is in charge. God knows what he's doing. And now is our opportunity to really practice that because as we all know, children um, feel with their hearts more than they hear with their words. And so we can say whatever we want, but if during this time of crisis, they see us praising God for the little things, having faith in God that it's all for the best, finding those simple things in life that you could be grateful for, that your family's healthy, that so many people can't say that, that you have each other, that so many people can't say that. And for people of faith, one of the biggest things is that we can be thankful that we have our relationship with God. And I know many Americans have participated in the National Day of Prayer this year. So why is it important for us to pray with our children, encourage them to pray for their friends, family, and their nations, not only at this time, but daily? Well, I think that 
prayer isn't meant to change God's heart. It's meant to change our heart, something that my father, Rabbi Chiel Eckstein, raised me on. Um, and so I think especially now, it's really a time for us to show our children how to go outside of themselves. And I always love praying with my children because they see, you know, to my children, I am their whole world. I am all-knowing, all-doing, all-giving. They rely on me for everything, on me and my husband. Husband. And so I love praying with them that they could see my vulnerability, that, you know, they might look at me as everything, but suddenly I'm turning to God and saying, I need you, God. I get my power from you. I am your servant. And in this world where everything is so self-focused, you know, with all the social media and the likes and the selfies, suddenly through prayer, we're able to show our children know you have a responsibility to pray for others, to pray for the world, to pray for people who need us now in prayer more than ever. And that, that isn't just for one day, that's for every day, not just the National Day of Prayer, but every day. Same thing with Mother's Day, right? Let's show appreciation for mom every day, not just on Mother's Amen. Day. Amen. Amen oh. to that. <laughs> okay, from Israel, Yael Eckstein, President of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. We thank you for being with us today. Thank you. Shalom, my friend. Shalom. On April 30th, the world commemorated the 75th anniversary of the Allied liberation of the Nazi concentration camp at Dachau, Germany. It came just three months after similar ceremonies were held commemorating the 75th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. Perhaps as many as one and a half million Jews were killed at those two camps. A total of six million Jews perished during the Holocaust. Over the years, at each ceremony, the cry is never again. But the persecution of the world's Jews isn't going away. As a matter of fact, it's getting worse, even during the COVID-19 pandemic. Here's just one recent example. This anti-Semitic vandalism occurred on the first night of Passover at the Eitz Chaim Synagogue in Alabama. In New York City alone, anti-Semitic hate crimes have jumped more than 20% in the past year. So why is this happening and what can be done about it? Joining us from Helsinki, Finland is Dr. Susanna Kokonen. She is author of the new book, Journey to the Holocaust, Anti-Semitism, the Bible and History. Susanna, it's good to see you again. So now we're seeing an increase in anti-Semitism during this COVID-19 pandemic, not only here in the U.S., but also in Europe. What's happening there? Well, basically, I would say about this pandemic that um, the rumors about Israeli Jewish involvement started actually in Iran. Ali Khamenei, the supreme leader, he made comments about Israeli Zionists and perhaps the U.S. government being um, guilty in spreading the virus to all these other places. And then that was picked up by the media in Iran, as well as some other leaders. And it spread in social media very quickly. And if you look at the social media, Facebook and other forums, you will see that many times the virus is actually shown having um, Jewish faces. And there are people who are actually calling for celebrations 
um, if they know that the person in Israel has died of the virus. And the worst part of it is that there are Israeli researchers who are doing research to develop a vaccine as quickly as possible. And that also is seen as an effort to make money of this crisis. So basically, the internet somehow has been hijacked by conspiracy theories, but many of them are targeting um, either the state of Israel or Jewish um, communities. And then, of course, we have had many incidents of vandalism, and one was in Huntsville, Alabama, where I have visited many times one of the most pro-Israel places I have learned to know in the United States. But during a crisis, usually scapegoating, the need to look for scapegoats and explanations increases. And that's probably part of the explanation at this time. And even here in Scandinavia, even specifically here in Finland, where we have a very small Jewish community, we have actually seen vandalism in the recent months targeting Jewish uh, synagogues and graveyards and the Israeli embassy here in Helsinki, which we didn't really think we would ever see in this country. Right here in the USA in New York City, Mayor Bill de Blasio came under fire for singling out the city's one yes. million Jews for warnings when only one Orthodox family holding a funeral violated stay-at-home rules. So why should that response by de Blasio be of concern to us? Well, I think singling out the Jews when anti-Semitism has always connected um, viruses and the Jewish communities, that's very dangerous. Because when you talk about racism or, or, or hatred, it's not the same thing. Anti-Semitism specifically targets Jews, and there are very specific images that are associated with that. And that's why these kind of comments are very worrying, especially when they come from a leader who should be representing all of the communities in his um, area. And, and it so came just after an attack in New York uh, on a rabbi, uh, his home on uh, Hanukkah, I believe it was. So your book is about anti-Semitism and biblical history. So tell us about yes. that. What's the connection there? Well, so basically, when we try to understand what's happening today, we can't really do that without understanding the past. And the past even includes the Bible, because this hatred of Jews is actually rebellion against God's choice. God made a choice. He chose the Jewish people to bring us the Bible, the prophets, and the Messiah. And people are rebelling against that. So my book actually starts from the Garden of Eden, and it comes all the way to our time, including the problems we have today with Iran threatening Israel with genocide, as well as Holocaust denial. So it's, it's like a journey. Okay, the book is Journey to the Holocaust, Anti-Semitism, the Bible, and History. Sounds fascinating. I look forward to reading it. From Helsinki, Finland, Dr. Susanna Kokonen, thanks for setting us straight today. Thank you so much. We told you earlier about the 75th anniversary of VE Day, victory over Nazi Germany ending the Second World War in Europe. Some veterans who freed us from evil during that global war are still with us, and they're still making a difference in people's lives. Like 95-year-old Fred Lunsford, he stormed Normandy Beach on D-Day, June 6th, 1944. Now he's asking people to join him in storming the gates of heaven with prayer.
He's praying for a spiritual awakening to come to America. The North Carolina pastor still makes regular visits to a prayer garden near his home in Marble, North Carolina. About two years ago, he says he saw a vision of Jesus standing in the gap of Buckhorn Mountain. Thunder boomed and lightning flashed at the time. He said he talked to God in a serious manner and asked him to take him home. He was ready to join his wife in heaven. He said that's when God spoke to him clearly, saying it wasn't his time. He said, uh, not yet, because I've got some unfinished business that you need to take care of. What is that unfinished business? You'll be preaching 70 years now. Celebrate 70 years in the ministry and get everybody you can to begin praying for spiritual awakening. I want to send a renewal. I want to send a new work among you and do that. And so I started. Mud Creek Baptist Church of Hendersonville, North Carolina, joined Pastor Lunsford in a May 5th prayer event called Praying on the Mountain. At least 250,000 other people joined in. So let's continue to pray each and every day that God will bring spiritual revival to our nations. Yes, one person can make a difference, even during the COVID-19 pandemic. And if you need a bit of a release from all the stress caused by the coronavirus shutdowns and social distancing, take a look at this World War II Navy pilot, Dancing Chuck. He's the latest social media sensation. He's already received more than one million views. Under quarantine at his Wisconsin home, 97-year-old Chuck Fronsky can still bust a move. Chuck recently celebrated his 75th wedding anniversary. Stars and Stripes posted these comparison photos of Fronsky and his wife Beverly from 1945 and today. Congratulations, Chuck and Beverly. And thank you, Chuck for entertaining us in your twilight years and our deep appreciation and gratitude to you and Pastor Lunsford for risking your lives 75 years ago to keep our country free. And personally, Chuck, nothing against dancing to Justin Timberlake, but I prefer your boxing-like dance moves to Let It Snow and Chuck Berry's Run Rudolph Run. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Twitter. And until next time, be blessed.